Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a very qualified relationship therapist, but the comedian acts as though he's just as qualified. <laughs> he's Standard. smart. He's self-aware. Now that we're speaking in third person, he he's on the ball some of the time. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, Great self-awareness. Oh, thank you. And emotional intelligence. Thank you. Look, I'm obviously putting my best foot forward in this podcast. You got to see me at my worst. When? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I want to see uh, it. Not on a podcast. <laughs> uh, depends if you if you've found you know things that sort of trigger me or get to my insecurities, and you bring them up on the podcast. Maybe then you'll see me a bit. What more. are your triggers? Do you have triggers? Yeah, I've. My triggers are. Um. I've realized this over just the last few weeks. I think the way you perceive yourself and and how you identify yourself, not just in a sort of gender uh, expression, but what your identity is. So if you're a Christian or an Australian or a a woman or like a brown person, that if that identity is being attacked, that's where you get an insight into how where people can mm. um, be off balance emotionally mm. or be triggered, right? So I think my identity is primarily comedian. Yeah. So when people are not only just attacking my comedy, but attacking, say, freedom of um, freedom of expression or um, you know the 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 right for comedians to be unapologetic and be offensive, that can be a trigger for me. Yeah. What was that podcast we did? <laughs> Oh, where I just went on for like 50 minutes on a passionate spiel. I got messages so saying like, well, you just talked over Eliza. And I was like, well, I needed to say that. Okay. No one's getting in my way. What was that podcast? What was that on? Raising Woke Children, I think. Was that it? Yeah. yeah. That was good though. Yeah, I know. It's confusing for people seeing a, 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 a brown guy uh, who's young and I'd leave, I hope... I'd hope comes across, you know, decently educated <laughs> to to sort of be on the more right side of the culture wars, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I've got a, we can do a whole podcast on that, but I've got a sort of story uh, there. There's a history. Can we do a podcast where we like unpack just Neil? Sure. That'll be good. Oh, yeah, we can. We can. Yes. If you want to. All right. Now that we've said it and recorded well, what it. What is it? To, like, what do you want to know? Psychoanalyze everything. Childhood trauma, relationship with parents, biggest heartbreak, fears, intimacy, everything. <laughs> sure. We can what do that. What makes Neil, Neil? Yeah, what makes me tick? Mm. Oh, what makes you talk? What makes me tick tock? <laughs> Oh, there's a few things. Look, I, I talk about, I sort of touch on it on many podcasts where I sort of do, I I sympathize a lot with some of the guys who might see themselves quite lowly and, and mm. see themselves as maybe even an incel and things like that. I sort mm. of went through a bit of that. I uh, had a, I like to think I had a pretty good relationship with my, my parents. Uh, my dad did work a lot mm. and he was pretty angry sometimes when he came home, but he was never really abusive or anything like that. Um, my mom, uh, when I've analyzed it, I'd say some issues may arise from the fact that often Indian and Asian parents have a very sort of achievement based, uh, love language. Mm. And so, you know, if you do well on this test, then you'll receive a bit more praise and love. And Mm. I think I have a feeling that may have, 
had a bit of a negative impact in some other areas of my life. Do you think that that maybe have subconsciously drawn you into comedy because you get praise and love for things that aren't academic based? Possibly. I've never thought of it mm. that way. Um, I think I was drawn to comedy because being performative and, and, mm. and being in many ways loud and, and being out there is a way to almost uh, garner a bit of attention mm. and sort of have all eyes on me. And, and, and you know, I, I remember the first time I actually got on stage, I, well, what happened, it was a year six uh, musical that people were auditioning for in front of the class. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to impress a girl. Aww. Yeah, and so I just got up there as a joke, trying to be like a bit of a class clown. But everyone else was taking it so seriously that they were really reserved and nervous and in a mm. bit of a shell. Whereas because I had a bit of fun with it, yeah. I ended up getting the part and I got <laughs> the main role. And that, that footage is still on my YouTube. Look oh up uh, The Monster Mash. Oh my God, I'm going to. That's on, so funny. On uh, my YouTube channel. And that's when I just sort of realized, like, I love this. I love the... Yeah, I, and, and yeah it's, it is a bit selfish maybe, but, you know, I love the attention. I love the sort of power I, I mm. have with my ability to satirize and to create characters and to create um caricatures yeah and uh i think satire is so powerful in what i often do with my comedy especially my character comedy as i'm sure my fans will will uh realize is that i can really um paint a, a sort of picture of uh, well what i can do i can sort of put my opinions out there Mm. through my comedic depictions and in a way it's very subversive and I think mm. it's actually quite powerful even more so than say a politician just making a speech oh, yeah. right because you're incepting ideas into people's minds rather than um uh just directly telling them mm. so uh the parallels I draw is say you know if, if someone's being told hey this culture you subscribe to or this uh ideology you adhere to is flawed or it's wrong they're going to immediately get defensive and, yeah. and detach and not going to sort of think critically, oh, is it wrong? No, they're going to want to fight against that. Yeah. But if I can create a caricature that's uh, that's developed as a way for people to laugh at those ideas, mm. uh, that's very powerful. In the same so way true. what, say, Borat does, uh, sorry, Sasha Baron Cohen does yeah. with Borat yeah. and Bruno is he is, uh, it, it's, it's clowning, right? Mm. It's people think clowning is you know getting your red nose and putting the makeup on and just be, like making balloons or whatever <laughs> but no there's this there's this sort of intellectual and artistic history to the art of clowning mm. where you're creating characters that are made to be laughed at and mocked but but in, intrinsic to that is the um the values of those characters that you're satirizing and yeah. mocking and it's a really powerful social tool i think yeah. so i think that's what sort of drew me to the comedy and I talked about it on a podcast with Jordan where I think I subconsciously calculated this is a way for me to you know this is a gift I have and mm -hmm. and and it, and it's sort of a strength of mine and I was always good with public speaking and mm. uh, I I was good with words although I never actually did that well in English so wow. I wasn't good at writing essays because I'd go off on tangents and <laughs> write all these weird um <laughs> It was a good writer, but yeah. the structure of it was always marked down. Oh, wow. And I never really answered the question properly, apparently, but I just went <laughs> on these weird tangents all the time. Wow. Um, but anyway, that's a, 
other relationship. Uh, um, I wasn't like badly bullied or anything, but I was always, I guess, the smaller, um, shyer kind of mm. drama kid. And yeah, I got teased a little bit, but I don't think I wouldn't say I was maliciously bullied compared to other people. Mm. Uh, so again, I think that's why I latched onto comedy because I was a way for me to kind of get some power. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, look, I've done a lot of yeah. psychoanalyzing of myself, mm. but you know, fine, we can do another <laughs> podcast one day. Where... Yes, I think comedy is so amazing. Like, and it's it's an underappreciated art, I think, because we it's something that brings humor to what's going on in our world at the moment. Whereas we're like people are so addicted to looking at like the gruesome murder podcasts and listening to the news and being like that's so fucked up and like this has happened and we love to kind of like search for these really dark things that lure us in and then we feel depressed being like what's the world it's good to be able to like comedians that can kind of like talk about these things and politics and world events or whatever and and do it in a way that's humorous and entertaining i think it's a really unique skill to have it's a good Good thing you're doing. Thank you. Good service to the world. Oh, thank you. Many people would disagree. We need some I'm more humor. Pretty humor. <laughs> opinionated sometimes, especially some of my more political content. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I I have my opinions and I put them out there. And, you know, some comedians hide under the guise of, it's all just comedy. Yeah. Now, look, yes, like it shouldn't be taken as seriously as, say, an academic speaking on a certain subject. But, yeah. no, I am also putting in ideas yeah uh like embedded in a, in a lot of my comedy so i'm not gonna sort of shy away from that yeah um it, it can be a shield in many ways but yeah um what else is that to analyze over i don't like being in you know i don't like being like labeled and being put in groups and things even though i've just said yeah comedian mm. is like how i mainly identify myself but I'm always really careful of, you know, if people are like, oh, you're the, that's why I get so, you know, when people are like, oh, person of color, I'm like, no, 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 I'm an individual. Like mm. I, I really don't like, and maybe there is some sort of uh, psychological unpacking to do there, but I really don't like being, you know, perceived as part of a, a group. Like boxed in. Yeah, yeah. I like, you know, I really, uh, I, I feel like then maybe I'm not being heard. I don't know. Mm. I've, uh. Again, trust me, I've, I've delved into all of this many times. Um, but sure, maybe next year we can do a... Done. Done. Psychoanalyze Neil yes. podcast. We should do a, it's only fair then if we do a psychoanalyze <laughs> Eliza as well. Uh, yeah, my biggest trigger is hearing people eat. <laughs> okay, well, that's a lot less... <laughs> like it's a real trigger i'm <laughs> like it right it's like a it's actually a thing called misophonia have you heard of that it's like you certain sounds will make you filled with rage and mine is hearing people not just eating in general it's certain sounds of That's people eating why you always when i was when i'm eating i have noticed you look a bit uncomfortable sometimes <laughs> i you know you you tell me this? no you're good because when you eat you, you're sitting over there you're sitting here it's when people like, bless my housemate, not my current one, my last housemate. I love her to death, but she would sit next to me on the couch and eat a mango and right next to me. And all I could hear was her slurping this mango and she would do it like every afternoon and I would just have to get up and leave because I just couldn't deal with it. So Gosh. if someone's like a meter or two away from me or I have some noise in the background, it's fine. Like, um, obviously, like when I'm on dates with my boyfriend, like he is eating next to me and I'm like, can manage it. Like, 
<laughs> not like fuck you, you're eating. It's kind of just so like that's interesting. certain sound. Like he's a good eater, you're a good eater, a but good I'll eater. notice it for everyone. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. So I used to do um a lot of volunteer work at like this respite um center for like kids with severe disability, and and part of that was feeding them at meal time. And I struggled with that, thinking it, but I thought this will make it better. Like I'll be so exposed to it because they all really struggled with eating um but no it made it worse <laughs> yeah right and there's no like psychological reason for it it just happens um unless well they think it stems from something so my brother used to be a really disgusting eater and as a kid i would like scream at him being like close your mouth and he yeah, would do it intentionally so it i've always from. hated it yeah uh, interesting but interesting. that's also like some people it's not eating it's like the sound of like your nails hitting something like not even scratching a chalkboard everyone hates that but just like little like that or or dogs yawning and right. it's like pure anger like just passing for like five seconds but there you go there's your fun word of the day misophonia misophonia yeah okay well i'll be more Sorry. conscious of eating in front of you then i didn't no. realize you told me <laughs> i don't tell anyone that because i that's what people say but i eat in front of everyone and i go out to dinner like four times a week with friends like it's we're all right Okay. Like if you can handle it, then that's... It's that's just when it's the silence and someone's next to me or like I'm on a bus and someone's like eating a peach. Interesting. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's an action that's triggering to you, not necessarily words and then yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I think I get... If I feel like I'm not being heard... Yeah. If people are sort of dismissive... I Again, I, I always talk about this. I... I actually encourage people to disagree with me and sort of challenge what I might say. But if it's it, it done in a dismissive way or if it's like, oh, you're stupid, this yeah. is where you're wrong, I hate that. Yeah. I hate it to, like, to, because I take so much pride in really like mm. looking inwards and mm. trying to figure out where could my argument be flawed, where could there be holes in the way I think. And if someone just sort of says this puts out this all-encompassing criticism that just totally deflects everything i say i absolutely cannot stand so it's the most true. triggering thing on the planet i think that everyone gets like really upset with that because it, it's dismissive as well and yeah. it's like you know in our last podcast there was a part where i was talking about like maintaining a state of curiosity even for people that have completely different beliefs um that you have is to be curious when you you listen to people and people were like getting so angry about that in the comments being like have your belief and stick to your belief don't remain curiosity and in the middle that's bullshit like people look so fed up and i'm like no this is a really yeah this is actually a no, thing of like <laughs> emotional intelligence is being able to say like okay i have my opinion you have yours but i'm going to respect you to share your opinion and i'm going to listen to that and i'm not going to agree with it and be like okay i'm convinced but it's people are going to have different opinions you can't hate every single person that thinks differently to you which book was this the uh which podcast? The most recent one. Was that the one about? Uh, oh, what was it again? Oh, what did we do? It was just a. It just came out like it, three days uh, ago. Oh yeah. Okay. So we're like a th three weeks ahead. We usually a record cults. these cults. It right, was the right, cults right, right, one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I agree with you. That's a sign yeah. of. Okay. The the best way I could maybe articulate that is think about uh, the way you thought five years ago. All right. So mm. we're we're both twenty six. Mm. Think about the things you thought when you were twenty one. Have you changed on any any of those at all? Any. Yeah. Of course, right? Yeah. It'll be weird if someone has it. Yeah. So then how did you change on those views, right? You were exposed to other ideas. Yeah. 
So if you're like locked into whatever ideas you have, let's say, especially if you're young, mm. how can there be any capacity for growth? I'm not saying you're all people are definitely wrong, right? But you have to just entertain the idea that you may be wrong. Exactly. So I understand all this kind of like making fun of boomers that mm. our generation and, and Gen mm. Z does a lot. But I wonder if it's getting to the point where we're not actually respecting almost wisdom of the elders because mm. we can caricature all boomers as people who grew up after the second world war and bought a house really easily and just had an easy life but no like they yeah. all, not everyone had that easy life at all exactly uh, and if you just look at it that way like, like think about the things you thought five years ten years when i was 16 okay mm. where i was just becoming say politically aware and i had my sort of cultural beliefs and social beliefs I've changed dramatically, mm. dramatically. I don't think I've sort of adopted a completely different ideology, but the sort of understanding of nuances and complexities is so much more pronounced than when it, when I was a teenager. Mm, that's now, it. why would that trend not keep continuing up to exactly. when I'm 66? If you're not changing, you're not growing. You're so, just stuck. Exactly. So then mm. when we dismiss boomers, they've, they've gone through that whole... Uh, Hopefully, at least if they're, mm. you know, intellectually curious, they would have gone through that whole process their entire life. So we're just saying, oh, they're stupid and they're mm. brainwashed. Look, many of them could be. Mm. But really then you're saying there must be a point then in your life where you stop, uh, you know, uh, changing your thoughts and, mm. and, and analyzing your ideas because... If we can say for a fact, we know that from five years ago, mm. we've changed our thoughts on many things and we've, and that's mainly due to being exposed to different ideas. How can then you say, okay, now I know everything? Exactly. No. Okay. It's so, uh, that, see, that triggers mm. me, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And people in the, was this in the comments of the highlight or in the, yeah, well, uh, yeah well yeah. then, yeah. Because it's not the, the like avid listeners probably they get the whole like, context, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. So was this on? Yeah, I saw that clip yeah. did pretty well on Facebook. Yeah. It was well, good. we I specifically uh, tell Steve to uh, go for uh, juicy, yeah, highlights that I know yeah. will be provocative and put yes. them on Facebook. But yeah, without being, you know, we're not lying. I'm not changing anything. No, but yeah. I know I I do put highlights of this podcast that I think will garner a lot of comments and we should talk shit about people on facebook right now for like a couple of minutes so then steve can put that up and <laughs> get rage going no what just anyone like just people facebook users or just everyone yeah someone specifically like people that follow neil on facebook are just so unintelligent and they're all stuck in their same belief we all hate boomers they're stuck in the same belief that Neil is hilarious. It's a, it's a, I know. It's a, could be a wrong Get belief. Get with the times. Could be a wrong belief. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I've had my fair share though of talking shit about boomers, not using the word boomer, but like, like for me, um, when the the gay marriage thing yeah. was happening, because I've grown up in such like a progressive household, and even though I've like studied like human psychology for like seven years, it was still such a shock to me to see that it was like the the poll results were so close to saying yes to gay marriage. And I couldn't fathom 
why people or this many people were so against it. Like it just made no sense to me. Mm. It still really doesn't. I'm just like, how can you be saying no to gay marriage? Like who the hell are we to say these people can and can't get married? Well, have you been told from when you were a child, this is sinful, yeah, this is sinful, exactly. this is sinful? I mean, that's going to It's hard to break you, out you know? of those molds, yeah. Um, in the same way, have we, it probably is confronting, but we still have to question all our assumptions as well. Like, all right, we have to entertain the fact, this is going to sound uh, <laughs> Don't even. Order, but like, <laughs> Don't. you have to entertain the fact, all right, let me listen to your argument, Okay. You're saying it could be sinful. Let me try to think how it could be sin- You know, you can't just immediately yeah. put a wall there. Yeah. Do you know what one of the craziest things, though, is that, like, with, with children in foster care, we've got such a massive shortage of foster carers. And, mm. you know, I'm, I'm holding some kids that are literally essentially t- a 10, 12 years old and homeless because we don't have carers to place them with. And we have, you know, there's LGBTI carers that come forward saying we'd like to care for children. And many agencies do not allow same-sex parents to foster care for kids, even though we desperately in Australia need foster carers. And I'm like, how... Could we say, how could we choose to put a child in a, in a hotel for two years rather than in a loving home with a couple that have been together for 20 years? Like, how does that, what is the logic in that? It's so shocking to me. I can't believe it. But hopefully it's one of those things that it changes, like, soon <laughs> because that's pretty, that's that's different to the marriage and things like that. It's very specific, but it just shocks me that that is a privilege that we just would never think that they cannot have yeah. kids to care for, especially because a lot often they it's they can't have their own biological children. Adopting in Australia on average takes eight years. It's very difficult to adopt, especially now the laws changed two years ago. It's virtually impossible to adopt straight from like a baby. Um, every single baby born into care, the goal is their like permanency goal is always going to result initially to restoration. So yeah. they're not going to let someone adopt them at least for two years. So what's next from adoption is it's foster caring, but now they can't even foster care. It's so... I agree. It's stupid, but yeah. but by saying it's stupid, that doesn't change people's yeah. minds and saying, oh, how can you think that way? It doesn't, uh, you know, it's yeah. not... It's not uh, I don't think it's actually helpful to the end goal, which is trying to um, convince people that their their beliefs are actually well wrong. But then just say, again by just saying that, no one wants to think that they're wrong. And yeah, people want to sort of attach to what they feel comfortable with. But um, yeah, that's a that's one where because even well, there's when no you... statistics, I mean, yeah. at the very least, show me some statistics where all right, if the kids got same-sex parents, they're more likely to, and then Mm. some negative outcome. Mm. But I'm assuming they don't actually have those statistics. No. Well, there are stats about, you know, nuclear families where single parents versus same-sex, and the stats are very close. There's not much difference. Obviously, the, the best outcome you can have is a male and a female present in the home, but that's only better by like 1% or 2%. And, and can I just add something real quickly? It's not even it, it, it shouldn't actually be comparing it to straight couples. What you need to do is look at the opportunity cost. Yeah. So, okay, you have to show that uh, 
being adopted by an LGBT couple would be worse than the child remaining in yeah, a foster home. Exactly. And that would, I'd assume, would be almost impossible to prove. Exactly. But it's not about, you know, that, that speaking that language probably doesn't yeah. work. The only thing a child needs to develop is a consistent caregiver, at least one. That's the the single key thing or a safe, one safe, consistent caregiver. So if you had one safe parent and an abusive parent, it's still better than being bounced from one to two. Even if you only had two or three foster homes in your life, mm. that's still worse than having an abusive father and a, and a kind mother kind of thing. Yeah. So it's better to have consistency rather than shuffling kids around. Anyway, I could talk about that for 17 yeah, hours. Let's let's move on from that one. Definitely gone off we track. We just found from a second we trigger. <laughs> going to talk about. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it's Eliza's trigger. When people are being unfairly treated. Well, that's Yeah. a lot of people's mm-hmm. trigger, but I guess people have a um people have very subjective ideas about who in society is being unfairly treated, yeah. right? So uh, now you, you often hear a lot of people from the Christian community saying we're being discriminated against. And yeah. I do say, you know, I'm often on the, when I talk about the culture wars, that's different to culture. Mm. So I'll say, yeah, I'm on the right side of the culture wars of the left, right spectrum. Mm. But I actually don't agree with this. Okay. I do want to talk about this just real quickly. Yeah, even though we're going to talk, talk about something else on this podcast. But um <clears throat> I do think there is an inconsistency with the way Christianity is constantly uh, berated and mm. followers are uh, perceived as stupid and brainwashed and especially by the intelligentsia and the artistic community generally. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. In comedy, it's rampant. There's mm. no shortage of comedians that are willing to mock Christianity, which go for it. Good on them. Mm. They're not willing to mock other religions to the same degree they won't even they they will use the parameters of okay christianity is anti-science or whatever but i understand the sort of feelings of uh is this unfair treatment but really if you if if your core value is um is it is a is a belief dogmatic or scientific Mm. you can't you can't attack christianity and then give say islam and the dream time a free pass that's now, a really good point yeah you just can't i know it's yeah. uncomfortable for a lot of people to mm. to sort of uh deal with that concept but when you really sit down and think about it so if true. your value is okay science yeah. and 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 say and reason and and um uh falsifiable ideologies at, at least so mm. ide- ideas that can be proven wrong and mm. that with evidence, you can change your mind. Then why are you not willing to sort of lampoon these other mm. ideologies? Um, so true. Wow, I didn't even thought about that before. That's now that you say it, it's, I can't even remember any other times that other like religious beliefs have really been ripped through the mud like Christianity has. Exactly. Yeah. But I will say I don't really agree with Christians when they talk about you know, there's no more freedom of speech for us. There is. Mm. People are allowed to say your beliefs are homophobic. That's free speech yeah. as well. So yeah. they've lived in a bubble where uh, they haven't been chastised for their ideas and their beliefs. Mm. And then you come into so- a-, a more um, uh, all-encompassing uh, realm of discourse like mm. social media and they're being told they're homophobic or their uh, beliefs are backward or, you mm. know, hateful. Mm. And then they're saying we're being discriminated against. 
no, that's other people's free speech. Yeah. That people are allowed to say you're homophobic. Now, it would be different if it's, uh, say, okay, you're not given certain rights as a Christian. Yeah. Now, there is a bit of a grey area there where it's sort of you get into this argument of, you know, the, the classic one in America where can a Christian bakery choose to not bake a cake for a gay wedding? Mm. Um, and that is like a complex argument, right, because mm. is the government allowed to say, um, you know, it's just sort of force people to perform tasks that they may not want to perform and all sorts of things like that. But generally speaking, uh, it, it's not, you know, you're just your ideas are just open to scrutiny like everyone else's was. Yeah. I think historically when um, Western countries were just primarily Christian, there wasn't that same level of scrutiny mm. uh, to the belief system and, and to those ideas, whereas now there is and it's perceived as discrimination when... Yeah. There are, like I said, there are some grey areas there, but I, I would suggest that overwhelmingly, no, it's not. It's just, it's criticism, right? That's it. But mm. I do also understand there is a double standard there with other religious ideas. Such a good point. I do wonder though, like every time, I don't know if it's just because of what I've been watching, but every time I watch like docos and like reality TV based in America, everyone mm. is Christian. But in Australia, no one talks about that. They're not like, we're not like, thank you, God. Like, without God's will, I wouldn't be here. Like, no one talks like that, at least in my circles. But, like, when you watch, like, I'm watching this show, um, Rhythm and Flow. It's like where... I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. they get the rappers in and they, like, battle it out and Cardi B runs it and it's based in America. And they're always like, thank you, God. They all pray together before, like, the shows. And these are, like, rappers. Like, it's so interesting. It's just, weird, isn't it? How rappers yeah. will, you know, talk about how they've killed people. They and, did. That's exactly like, what's happening. They're banging praying. prostitutes, and then they're like, "And I thank the Lord." Yeah. Dude, come on. I was like, what's <laughs> Bro. Going on here? Yeah. Um, Super interesting. Well, America is just a lot more religious. It, well, the mm. original settlers from uh, Britain were the religious uh, Puritans. I think I don't right. know the history exactly there, but. Right. I'm pretty sure many of the um, – they were religious pilgrims, I think, that originally settled to America when it was still a British colony. I, I Again, you'd have to – I don't – Fact check. Know. And then whereas right. Australia was bloody convicts. convicts. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. They're going to pray less. Okay, yeah. let's just say that. True. Yeah, wow, very interesting though. Mm. That's a long introduction we had. Yes, very long introduction indeed. <laughs> um, I guess – yeah, we can still we can still talk about what we were going to talk about. Which yeah, is... we can flip over to the lighthearted. Yeah, talking shit about relationships as yeah. usual. So yeah. we were going to talk about uh, age gaps in relationships. We were also going to talk about settling down young, yeah. marrying young. Oh, I guess that ties into r- religion, marrying yeah. young, because it's often, more often than not. Oh, I did this. Jo- I did a video about it last year where it was like people who get married young in Australia are either really religious or really bogan. Yeah, there's, there's no in between. It's either so true. It's either like you know we're we're 19, but we think our union under God will give yeah. us strength, or it's like yeah, fucking knocked her up at 16, and now the parents are like telling us to get hitched. Also, not necessarily just marrying <laughs> young, but I really wanted to talk about like whether or not you should, or just marrying the first person that you've dated or the first love that you've Ooh, had yep, yep, yep. um because i'm seeing that a lot of just people i know and friends are constantly saying like it's their first relationship do they settle down with that one person having never experienced anyone else ever 
or do they go out and, and be single and have fun but then risk potentially the greatest relationship ever? So it's a mm. it's a tricky one. Well, we always talk about how the you know the grass is always greener. Yeah. So if you're having those thoughts of am I missing out, that's probably the first inkling that you may have a mindset of uh you may not have a mindset that's conducive to happiness regardless of whether you're in the relationship or single Mm. because it always seems great you know the single life looks rosy for people who are maybe just settling down and uh can no longer party and go out and have fun and they Mm. feel restricted but then single people especially ones that have been single for a long time will tell you it's frustrating you're ghosted it's yeah and you go out with to date with the intention of finding a partner like when you're dating usually so why would we break up with someone to then have the intention of dating to find someone if you're already in a good relationship that is of course but you know that being said i I was in my first relationship was like four years and i was like like we broke up just before I was 18 or just before I was 19. So um, we were together for all throughout high school and like the first year of uni. And I thought, oh, we'll get married. And um, my mom said to me once in my relationship, she was like, don't settle down with him. Like he's great, beautiful relationship. But she was like, you need to go out and be single. You need to be with other men. Like, and I was so offended. She had said that. I was (laughs) like, you bitch, like this is the greatest relationship. And he was, he was a really beautiful guy. He still is. He's lovely. Um, But we did end up breaking up pretty much for that reason. It was in my head. I was like, I need to try being single. I've never been with another guy. I've been with him for almost four years. Like what I Mm. do ended up breaking up with him. And my God, it was the best best thing ever and I'm so glad I did because now that I've matured I'm older and your life changes so much in like five years six years whatever to think that I could have settled down with him as beautiful as he is it wouldn't have worked out at the age I am now and even people saying now at our age people like it's so young to get married at 26 whereas you know it used to be um, I was late (laughs) yeah used to be like shit man she's got one egg left Get her pregnant, have her married. Uh, like you're a spinster by twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, the trends do show that if you if you marry young, and I'm talking about say late teens, early twenties, you are more likely yeah. to get divorced, right? Yeah, that's it. I yeah. think the from when I last looked, and then these could be American statistics, so they could be different in Australia. Uh, twenty nine apparently was the age where when people, if they first got married at twenty nine, it was the age where there was a least likely chance for a divorce. Really? Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I'm I would guess that you know, if you get married young, you you may be less mature and you 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 may rush into it. You're sort of in the lovey-dovey stage and then you're like, yeah, I want to oh, I love this so much. I want to marry you and then that those feelings scientifically those feelings they will fade go away they change and then there's nothing left there there's nothing you have in common you don't have the same vision the same goals and then resentment builds up it's the classic the classic divorce story but Uh, yeah also if you start to get to mid 30s and late 30s there i'm guessing i don't know this for a fact but i'm guessing there's uh you may settle because you think oh i'm at that age where everyone else is married and has kids already mm. and I'm missing out and oh, this guy's or this girl, she's, they're all right, but oh, I don't want to, 
I'm 37, you know, I got to get married. Yeah. And then I just, I'd guess that sort of mentality would, would um, prove more likely to end in divorce. Yeah, well, also the opposite happens as well. Like I know a woman who's used to be friends with um, and she's about 32, 33, um, and she had because her parents had a really beautiful um, relationship, a really beautiful marriage, and she wanted that kind of love as well. Like they were still like they were like 60 and still deeply in love. Mm. And she was like, I want that. And she – was such a chronic data because she had such high expectations to find the one, the perfect one, mm. and so much pressure around it because she was in her 30s. She ended up dating, and this is no exaggeration, like 100 guys within one year. So it's like one guy almost yeah, every three to four days Jesus. she's being on a date with. And like, and that, does, that includes, you know, ongoing dates. So considering she would have gone on multiple dates with some of those guys, it's almost like a different guy every day or a guy every night. Um, she wasn't sleeping with them. She was like particular about that, but she was dating them. And I met a lot of them, obviously. And some of these guys, I was like, he's amazing. Like, he's so beautiful. Like, he's so attentive and so kind. And then she'll be like, he's too nice. Next. That's it. Like, so the, the stereotype is that, uh, often women do have standards that are too high. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that, how true that is and things, but. What can happen? Again, I'm guess I'm just speculating with all of this. This is just you know I'm throwing out opinions. Um, often when we're younger, we can fall into a relationship and we're so enamored by the feelings of romantic love and the you know oxytocin mm. running through our our brain. And then when that fades and we get out of that relationship, we think, oh, I really settled. I I didn't have self-worth and I really um, didn't think highly of myself to, to think all of that behavior was okay. But then you end up expecting too much. Yeah, you're and so right. that often happens as you get older. And look, this isn't, I guess, the most politically correct thing to say. But look, unfortunately, the statistics, these actually are, they did this statistic on that, uh, uh, that I showed you this lecture from this guy who Mm. wrote a book about online dating trends. And they asked women um, at different ages, what age did they think was most attractive? It was generally a little bit older than them. Four years older. Yeah, up until it got to women who were 40. And then they suddenly, suddenly started saying, guys who were 37, 38, they didn't like the 40 thing for whatever reason. And they started going a little bit younger. I always say guys are in their peaks and their mid thirties. That's I've been saying that throughout this whole podcast. And there you go. All the women think that too. And (laughs) yeah, it's going to trigger so many women, but (laughs) the age that every man at every age said basically 20 to 22. Yeah. That's disgusting. (laughs) And it couldn't go lower than 20 anyway. So who knows what it actually was. Oh my God. you are, and let's, let's, uh, ideally you want to look at other characteristics, but looks and attraction is going to come into it. And as you get older, um, your looks are going to fade. That's it. It's sad, but it's, it is true. Yeah. And the chemicals, like you keep saying, it's going to change and it's, it's so important. And I say this to everyone that people break up 
I think that most relationships, maybe not so much at our age, but 25 and under, they end because you're like, my feelings aren't as strong. I don't lust after them as much. So that's going to happen in every relationship that you're in, most likely for 95% of people. And it's about like, it's, you're still going to love someone, but it's a different kind of love. It's the companionship love. Yeah. Um, and you're still going to be attracted to people, but it's a different type of attraction. So it's really important that you don't think just because your feelings are changing, like this means we're not meant to be together. Or because I'm thinking about what it's like to be single, this means we're not meant to be like together. Like those thoughts are so normal. And in long-term relationships, people fall in and out of love. You know, they say the only thing that matters is that one person is in love because if you fall out of love at the same time, that's when it gets tricky. But people always come in and out of levels of love throughout the years. It doesn't mean break up as soon yeah. as things kind of change. Yeah, because that can be a sort of a veil uh, you can have a very skewed perception of that person yeah. and, and maybe not have anything in common, but you see that as endearing. Yeah. Oh, this person likes all these different things that I'm not into. But then yeah. when the love goes, you're like, oh, this fucking idiot. Like, but then on the yeah. other hand, though, is like I have a friend who was in a pretty uh, um, unhealthy relationship, but she wasn't being treated well. Yeah. And we're talking about whether or not she should break up. And it's really, I try not to say you need to break up with him because it never helps. And she would then interpret that as like a don't, um, don't talk to her lies about my relationship issues because she doesn't like him. But she was thinking about breaking up with him. But then she started sending me quotes from books she was reading saying, it's normal to have doubts in your relationship and you got to push through them and fight for them. So she thought that that's what it meant. But I was like, no, this is having doubts is different to having boundaries and being and those being respected or expectations yeah, of kind yeah. of thing. So don't think, oh, just because you're having constant doubts, you're like, this is normal or whatever. Yeah, you got to find the balance. Yeah, gotta, it's the balance. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's why I'm pretty in favor of, you know, trying different things like non-monogamy and yeah, stuff like yeah. that but I get that, that could be a very utopian outlook i think that's uh, the belief of a lot of people they're like this is what makes the most sense yeah yeah so can you maintain that companionship love with someone when the romantic love is gone while you're then experiencing romantic love with someone else that's I, i'd imagine yeah. would be a big test of you know jealousy and how strong is that bond and i haven't done that yet and i i hope i can't yeah. I hope I can and, and, and the partner I'm with can, but yeah. uh, who knows? That's it. It works for some people, but it's not going to work. I know for myself, it absolutely wouldn't work because like when I like fall in love with someone, I'm like, I get, I'm very like passionate in, and intense in relationships. And so I have a tunnel vision of that person. So if I was in a long-term relationship and we were open and then I was pursuing someone else, and I got feelings with him, that guy would be long gone. See ya. 12 years by, I'm, this is my new man kind of thing. Like I could only mm. do one at a time. Like I'm when I was single and dating like multiple guys at once, just casually here and there. And then I was dating um, someone that I had connected with on our first date. And the second I met him, I was so loyal. I didn't even look, didn't talk to another guy. That was it. Just after one date, that was it for me because I was like, this is the one like, that I'm gonna be with kind of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I I hear that 
say with something like cheating, when women cheat, it's often they're not feeling emotionally fulfilled in their primary relationship, Mm. whereas men can be very loyal, fiercely, uh, emotionally loyal in the sense that they still love their wife or their partner. But if a, you know, a, a, gorgeous woman is like i want to fuck you we'll be like yeah okay yeah you can have that like sexual fulfillment or intimacy fulfillment without losing that like foundation that you've yes. built with another partner where it is harder for women because women typically more more commonly are going to be their attraction is going to be based on that emotional intimacy like mm. how someone makes you feel and stuff like that even if it's at a bar it's still going to have this emotional connection is what's going to like draw you in and make it more fulfilling so it runs a yeah. higher risk that being said, please That's do true. not take that as a as a message that says only men should be able to be allowed to fuck other girls and women can't, like, <laughs> because that's a thing that's happening everywhere at the moment. I keep seeing, like, oh, I'm, oh, I don't know if it's just dodgy guys keep telling me that because they are a bit dodgy, but I have certainly had a lot of men tell me, like, I'm married or I'm in a relationship and I sleep with other people, but she doesn't. But is that through is that have they both come to that mutual agreement or is it the man sort of imposing that onto her saying you're not fulfilling me sexually so i'm able to uh get those urges fulfilled elsewhere but if you're being sexually fulfilled you have to stick around it it does seem a bit um almost authoritarian there yeah i mean you'll never know any guy that says these things to me will always make it out like it's mutual it benefits us both she doesn't even want to like, uh, but you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Like, I just, yeah, I do wonder. Yeah, I wonder as well. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe, you know, if I were to guess, it could have been that the spark in that relationship could have could have gone. Those oxytocin mm. levels are, are, are low. The love isn't there anymore. Um, so she isn't as uh, sexually interested, mm. which can can often happen i'm sure as preoccupied by children yeah you you hear a lot of that where the man still wants to have sex but the woman's like nah i'm just not feeling it yeah so then maybe he and i i understand both arguments there where she if she doesn't want it but he wants it then why not uh allow him to get that elsewhere it's not ideal Mm. but then i also do understand that it might not be very equitable yeah. in I, that situation. It's interesting because there's this book I've talked about before. It's got such an amazing way of phrasing this. It's called come, The book is called Come As You Are and it's about female sexuality and we should do a full podcast on female sexuality. Sure. Um, but it's one of the aspects of this book is that it's saying women do have – the same, you know, libido and sexual needs as men. However, their sexuality is is created differently to a male. Mm. So, um, they she the woman that writes this book phrases that I can't remember what it's called. It, she uses like SES and it stands for I think it's like sexual excitement system and then the SIS, which is sexual inhibitors system, something like that. Pretty much, there's a, a accelerator and a break, and everyone's. Every female's is on a scale. So some women, when they're stressed and they're overwhelmed, they have a very high 
um, sexual excitement system, which means anything that happens in my life, I want to have sex because it's going to make me feel good. It's going to make me feel better. It's going to make me feel connected. Grandma's died. I'm grieving sex, like those kind of things. And that's a smaller percentage of women, but there are women that are like that. Then on the other end, on the other spectrum, there's women that have, um, they're like, I can't have sex if I'm feeling stressed. I can't have sex if I'm lacking intimacy and things need to be just as they are in place. Like Mm. certain things need to be met and then they're easily aroused kind of thing. So, but at the same, and then the third one is you can have a bit of both at the same time. So it's kind of like once you learn this about yourself and you tell your partner about that, there are ways that, you know, you can increase sexuality because so much of our belief of sexuality is about men are always horny and women are never horny like that's kind of like the basic knowledge of of libido and things like that you just gotta meet the right woman yeah or you gotta you gotta understand (laughs) your woman yes (laughs) meet the right woman's needs (laughs) yeah there you go yeah um well a lot of the not just esther perel but a lot of the relationship books i've read talk about how domestic life is just not conducive to romance and sexual excitement if you are living your stock standard suburban marriage even if there aren't kids you both go to work you come home to the same person to the same house you're tired you're tired it's it's safe You, you you stopped uh being as interested in looking as beautiful for your partner as you possibly can you just watch tv together and then he probably wants to fuck but you're like no i'm not excited i'm not aroused right now uh and that's the that's the big tragedy almost that um things like loyalty and consistency and and domesticity for both Mm -hmm. men and women which is so um imperative to a uh i would say to a successful life and a successful pair bond is not conducive for sexual excitement unfortunately so um there's interesting statistics i've read where uh when people have affairs if they leave their primary partner and start a relationship with the person they were having an affair with it fails 95 percent of the time because the excitement came from the fact that oh this is so naughty we shouldn't be doing this yeah uh so that's it it's like you go two days without three days sitting and watching tv in a row with your partner you don't actually have a conversation then one of you goes to work the next day and you have this deep and meaningful conversation with someone of the opposite sex and all of a sudden you're like holy shit i'm so attracted to that person yeah just because you had an engaging conversation that you didn't have with your partner and now from from what i put it was a uh evolutionary psychologist that was talking about this on on youtube diana flashman do you know she's no really she's really good uh i think she's a psycho yeah so I think it was her or maybe it was someone else, but they're saying nowadays uh, the rate of infidelity is even between men and yes, women. Yeah. It's no longer it, – it used to be that men were more likely to cheat, although mm. we don't know how honest people are in a mm. lot of these surveys. People just don't admit to it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that to me, that that I come back to that idea that in a domestic partnership it's it's just not conducive for sexual spark and sexual energy to emerge and it's really quite a tragedy yeah because you want to reward people who are loyal for a long time and have been good to you and Mm. uh you're helping each other you're doing the household chores or whatever and you're picking the kids up but it's just not arousing. Yeah, but you know, there is there is a way that this can be avoided for those wondering. And 
all relationship therapists will say, and this is a shocker, it's literally what we say every single podcast. If you have high self-worth and you're confident, you're doing things for yourself, that's going to be attractive. Even if it's like, you know, my partner's going for a run or my partner's going off to do some gardening. I don't care. Something that he's passionate about and interested in. What happens with people that go into relationships, sometimes you stop doing your hobbies or you stop going out and all of a sudden this this social girl that, you know, my boyfriend had started dating who goes out and sees her friends, does all these like arts and like classes, just comes home and chills on TV every night. The things that that person was initially attracted to me um, in me. That's, that's no longer me because mm. it's changed in the relationship. And same with men. Yeah, it goes both ways. So hobbies and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, what they're saying is continue your hobbies. Do hobbies together. Do things different than your normal routine because routine, not only does it kind of, you know, mess up our relationships, but they say, you know, when they say once you're 24, life moves like this, time passes so fast before you blink, you're 40 kind of thing. And that's because once you're 24, <laughs> typically that's the age you stop, you know, studying or you, you, you're more settled in your career and home and things like that. Mm. And you, you know, the best way to slow aging is making new memories or, or changing your routine because your brain makes shortcuts um, so that when you repeat the same pattern day after day, yeah. your brain shortcuts that the last three years go like this. But if you're doing new things every week, every couple of days, something new, something interesting, time moves slower. And that's the key to living a long and fulfilling life. <laughs> so like in my relationship, wow. I try to knock two birds, one stone. So every every night after work, um, we'll, we'll usually like cook together or we do arts. Like as you say, like really into like clay, liner printing, painting. We mix that up. We go on like road trips. Um Every like, you know, once or twice a week, we'll go for a drive to the beach at night, sit by the ocean. And then once a month, we go away. Um, but just, this is a very new relationship. It's still a new relationship, so but you the do them in all your relationships. 10 years from now. Yeah. Can, well, can you still feel that we'll same do way? a reunion podcast. Yeah. All right. We'll see. <laughs> It'll probably be in, in via like hologram or six something. Six years, yeah. we'll see uh, yeah. how it's going. But no, that's yeah. great. That's, um, that's really good advice, actually. Yeah. You want to, I mean... Yeah, I come back to that that book I I really like, uh, Mating in Captivity, yeah. and 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 she talks about all of these sorts of things, mm. and you almost want to harness a little bit of tension and aggression. Yeah, and people do say this, and it often justifies really immoral acts, which I'm not in favor of. But you got to sort of it depends what you do with this information. But tell me if you know if this rings true to you at least, but. A man who is uh, seen as attractive to other women is always going to be much more attractive, right? So if a woman is seeing um, other girls interested in, in her man, that's going to be more attractive to her? I mean, it does not ring true to me. No? <laughs> no, okay. no. Well, no, I don't think so. I don't know, actually. That's an interesting thing that I want to look more into because I definitely know that's a thing for guys. I know guys, men love to have people comment saying god your girlfriend's hot your girlfriend's beautiful it makes them feel like proud kind of thing mm. and like maybe because typically like as you know like i've always kind of had been like attracted to guys that are like dorky and socially awkward that maybe when we're walking down the street wasn't so common that girls would be like looking at them all the time or whatever but in situations like in relationships where girls have flirted with my boyfriend or checked him out i'm like don't like that. 
No, it doesn't make him seem more attractive or anything. It just makes me feel pissed off. <laughs> but Probably... do you think that it then makes you want to, um, you know, it, because you don't feel maybe there's just that slight inkling of insecurity there, you mm-hmm. want to, um, in the same way, I'm not saying this is just a uniquely yeah. female thing. Yeah. I think if a man saw another man flirting with his girlfriend, then he'd want to, you know, make his sure alpha male she's, comes still, on. she's still mine you know yeah. like in, in the same way a woman might want to sort of latch into the man and be like no 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 he's still mine like yeah. bring out it might even bring out um it could it you know in the next date night you might put a little bit more effort in in the same way a man might be like oh God, i gotta wear a bit of a nicer shirt so that these other guys aren't gonna <laughs> flow with it it sounds yeah. a bit mean and and almost getting to a toxic uh mentality there but I think for I, most a lot people, of, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. Then this isn't like I'm not just just. This isn't some MRA website or yeah. something. This is often yeah. female psychologists as well mm. talk about this, where yeah. they want to uh, women subconsciously want to see their partner is attractive and is yeah. I get high value, yeah, and that keeps Validates their interest. Yeah. Whereas what can happen is people classically let themselves go in mm. long term relationships, so they stop caring as much about their their looks and trying as hard to um, please the other person, probably putting in less effort in foreplay or whatever, mm. and then they just get fed up with each other. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in many uh, of those, I can't remember if this was in Sex at Dawn or another book or or lecture that was talking about open relationships and polyamory, but when you find out that, the person your primary partner slept with someone else it often or or someone's having an affair and the person doesn't actually know it can improve the sex life yeah but now, i know i'm not saying yeah. i'm not at all my suggesting go and have a bloody affair no but yeah. but it's just an insight into human psychology that i want to that i'm interested in and i think is worth exploring there's a name for that i, I don't think it's trauma bonding it's uh I've forgotten it, but there's oh, and now it's going to annoy me. It's on the tip of my tongue, but there is a name for when something happens and you instantly try to, um, you, you're in a state of like hysteria and you try to um, create yeah, okay. a bond immediately and desperately. Yeah. So you find what often happens in these situations, which you're right, it does happen. You find your boyfriend or your girlfriend has sexted someone or flirted. Initially, you you want to bond and connect and reestablish that attraction. And usually that comes in the form of sex. And then it's all of a sudden super passionate. But eventually, once you've redevelop that bond and you feel more secure then straight afterwards it falls to shit again like further down because you never dealt with the affair you never dealt with the infidelity you never dealt with the problem you bonded to make sure that you feel secure in your bond through sex and intimacy or whatever and you're on this high and then once you're back at that level then you just come crashing down with the reality that like okay he's just betrayed me or she's betrayed me and done this this and this right and then it falls apart later on so often we find that with the betrayal initially sometimes there isn't a breakup or anything it's it's a little bit later on yeah Yeah. okay yeah okay i gotta find the term for this it's really annoying me now yeah well, hysterical bonding, maybe something like that. Anyway, hmm. yeah. I still think I don't know if. Mm, okay, well, I guess that is because what I was reading, or at least the way I interpreted it, it wasn't sort of making a value judgment about it mm. or adding those caveats uh, that it was actually a form of 
trauma bonding, mm-hmm. but they were just laying out the the well the statistics that when mm-hmm. not even just a, a an affair, but when there is a perception of sexual activity with someone else b- between you and your primary partner that generally actually increases the um, sexual yeah. desire yeah. in the primary it's partnership. Wild. i got to look this up while we're talking because it's going to drive me insane. But, I mean, I guess on um, on age gap love and what was I, I've just looked up that was interesting before was that relationships that have a, log, uh, a larger age gap are actually statistically slightly more fulfilling, satisfying, um sexually and can last long term because really? most people would say if you're in an age gap relationship it's going to fall to shit but um that kind of went to show it actually doesn't at least in australia where i was reading these stats so that was something that really surprised me i mean historically there generally was quite an age gap That's between it. That was like men and women. In fact, it was women were like 14 marrying bloody 30-something-year-olds. Yeah. So... Thank God we don't do that. Um, no, that's good because we now have a sort of legal and psychological understanding about when someone is has an adult brain, if you will. Mm. But... We also do know that women mature uh, both emotionally and psychologically faster Quicker, than yeah. men and, and physically. Mm. So maybe the the optimal state of a relationship is for a, a woman to... I'm not saying, you know, if, if the woman's older and the man's younger, oh, it's a bad relationship or anything. But generally, could you surmise that it may be beneficial if a man is... Uh, older and a woman is younger than with if those statistics maybe like, even back I, it up i would say majority yes even though i haven't really dated long-term relationships haven't been that much older we've always been kind of close in relationships i was always seeking someone like four years older than me because that's what i was hearing is like the sweet spot right. um reading is the sweet spot but what is kind of it's different for everyone but i think that it's more so about we're reaching our life goals at, at different stages so you know a 25 year old woman maybe not so much in this stage but 10 years ago might be like i'm only be getting married and getting having children and 25 year old man might be like well i've literally just one year into my career that's something i don't see for the next five six seven years kind of thing yeah and that's why a woman would you know marry up and i always this is a from a non-therapeutic standpoint just dating in Sydney was like, I want someone close to 30 or around 30, just below or just a bit older than that because they would be at a stage where they're more settled, they're more wanting um, to have a long-term relationship where they can make a life with someone. Mm. Whereas guys in my age that were in their mid-20s weren't really, they're like, well, maybe I'm open to it, but not really something I desperately want at this stage. Yeah. So like a lot true. of my friends would be dating 30-ish um, at 25, 26, because they are more likely to just have been a little bit slightly more mature and mellowed out and more settled. Right. Um, so that's interesting. But then, mm. you know, guys also going after um, younger girls at the same time for reasons of like attraction and other reasons, maturity level matching. Um, And sometimes I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of elements depending on how big the age gap is for why they're seeking women. Um, 
for example, this is just a recent situation that happened to me. So I hope saying this on a podcast doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. But I met this guy on Tinder when I was 21. Mm -hmm. I never actually met him, but he was he was like um, 31 or something at the time. It was like 10 years older than me. And he he was a psychologist as well, mm -hmm. which is an interesting kind of facet to this story. So he he was pursuing me and then I kind of lost interest in him because he told me the girlfriend, his last girlfriend was 19. And I was thinking, that's really weird. That Sorry, how old was he again? He was 31 mm -hmm. and his last long-term girlfriend was 19. And I was like, how long term was this? Because she's only just a year into adulthood and you're a psychologist. Like that was really weird. And then he told me that he had like was specifically seeking out, um, you know, girls that on Tinder, his age range was like 18 to like 23 and he's in his thirties. And I asked him why, and he was like, I really want a family. Like I really want five kids. So I want like someone that's young kind of thing. And then anyway, so that was what, five years ago and every single year he slides into my DMs or texts me or something hitting me up to see if I'm single and we can meet, right? And this happened a couple of months ago. He messaged me. So now he's 36 mm -hmm. and I'm 26. And he messaged me again, being sleazy. And um, I was like eye rolling. I'm like, why is this guy so obsessed with younger girls? Like, it's just, I'm probably too old for him at this point as well. Uh, but he was messaging me and he was saying things like, okay, I'm taking you on a date, like just this dominant approach. I'm taking you on a date and there's two rules. One, you can't, you must go on this date with me and two, you cannot show your cleavage. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, why could I not show my cleavage? He's like, because I want to talk to you and it's going to be too distracting. And I was just like, what the fuck? Anyway, I roasted him and we like had a little like argument kind of thing. And then I find out that he has... Um, he's in a relationship with a girl, a long-term relationship with a girl similar age to me, absolutely stunning. This girl's like a legitimate model, like mm -hmm. actual model. She's gorgeous. And so I actually messaged her um, and said, hey, were you in a relationship with your boyfriend two months ago? Um, because if so, I have some messages that you might want to see. Um, if you, if you were in a relationship or it's an open or it was an open relationship, don't worry, like just ignore this. And she's like, yeah, I was in a committed relationship with him. I have been all year. And I said, do you want to see the screenshots? I've never met him. So it wasn't an in-person like cheating. And she said, yeah, send me the screenshots. And it was messages of him being like gross and asking me on dates. And it was, there was a lot of other sleazy comments she was making. And then she was like, wow, thanks for sending this. Anyway, they're still together. Nothing ended up happening. Um, but I think it was kind of reflecting on that. I really think that he's been particularly only after women 10 plus years younger than him because he wants women to idolize him because he's this handsome psychologist and he wants someone to fawn all over him and think like, oh my God, you're so great. You're so handsome. Wow. And he just gets away with like blatant cheating. And she just kind of like the next day she uploaded a photo of them or two days later, like looking lovingly in each other's eyes. And I was like, oh my God, why? Okay. So it's my, my, well, the moral one, of the story that's is like, anecdotal, but I feel like it's, I feel like it's not though. I feel like it's really common for men that seek out 
large age gaps. They want women that okay. are more yeah, yeah. submissive or are more likely to idolize them and think they're they're better than what they are or because they're older. It's like when you see a 17 right, year old right. girl dating a 25 year old, you're like, why is this 25 year old guy dating a girl in high school? That's weird. But all her friends are thinking, oh my God, it's so cool. She's dating someone with a car. <laughs> but yeah, so they often, they they do idolize. Yeah. They can idolize older men. Yeah. I remember, you know, in, in high school and things, it's always the, the younger girls will look into the, you know, the girls in year 10 were like, oh, those guys in year 12. And yeah. Um, what is, do you think some, like a, a an abuse is taking place? Obviously, if it's under 18, yeah, yeah. we can both agree on that. But say a 32-year-old is uh, dating a... Um, 18-year-old, for yeah. example. They're both adults. have started dating. Mm. So we're saying it's legally okay and, and it's mm. consensual. Um, and maybe she does idolize him mm. and she thinks, wow, he's so mature, he's so intelligent, he's got his life together, but he's still very handsome. Mm. And he's thinking, oh, she's great. She's, you know, she's young and she's um, <laughs> fertile or whatever yeah. he would be thinking. What is you is know like, where's the immorality mm-hmm. what Im- is there something abusive incurring there i think it depends on the context of of the situation like if someone if two people met at a bar and they yeah. had no idea of their age and they've connected the chemistry's crazy and she's like oh by the way i'm 18 and he's like holy shit i would have never thought that i can't believe that you're so mature and well-spoken and intelligent wow and they end up in a relationship i think that's okay i think it's when people men are seeking out younger women specifically especially women that have just literally just left high school there's a reason why those kind of dynamics make everyone uncomfortable and it's there's a reason why it's frowned upon i don't think it's abusive but i think that there are uh, reasons why a man wants someone so much younger and so much with such with such less life experience and i don't think that those reasons are like altruistic i think they're more sinister mm. yeah I can see that there yeah. would be some men that are sort of seeking out women that they can control yeah. more. Uh, but I also understand the the a bit of a dynamic where, um, you know, you want to feel a bit confident and you want to feel a bit powerful sometimes. Yeah. And more often than not, if you go for a little bit of an age gap, so say if I'm 26 and I date, I don't know, a 21-year-old, yeah. then um, it it probably would give me a bit more of a sense of confidence and I I don't think look, personally though, I I like dating girls that I can, you know, have a more in common with and yeah. are probably at a similar stage of life. But, you know, if I met a twenty one or twenty two year old who I got along with really well then um was attractive and there was, you know, a mutual chemistry there. Yeah. Um why not? Yeah, why not? But then let's say I'm 40 or something and then mm. uh, I meet a 24-year-old or something like that and the, the attraction is mutual and there is chemistry there and what is the... Difference? Yeah, like what Yeah. the people... I, un- I, I get, look, I get both mm. sides of the story because I can see how, 
you know, you hear so many stories about, um, especially attractive, I guess, successful men who mm. leave their wives and then end up marrying younger women. Yeah. And I get how that's so frustrating and mm. and seen. Cliche. It's, yeah, it's cliche. And um, it, it can be so frustrating for women who maybe are a bit older Mm. And think, you know, I've learned so much more. I'm so much mm. more well-rounded and wiser from when I'm 24. But, yeah, all right, maybe things aren't as tight or whatever. Mm. I, I get that. But then I can also get the male perspective thinking, you know, this 24-year-old's an adult. I'm an adult. Yeah. We both want each other. Why why am I being uh, maligned for a mutual consensual agreement there? Do you know what I think it is? Is I think that when there's a large age gap, not that this is necessarily wrong, but there's almost like you starting at a higher level of respect. So in that example of like, you know, the 25-year-old guy and the 17-year-old girl, and they were like, oh my God, he's got a car. You're automatically kind of giving him that attention that I respect him. You're idolizing him a little bit, which makes people feel good. Whereas if a 25-year-old guy comes up to me in his car, I'll be like, cool, who gives a shit? Like, I've got a car, mm. that kind of thing. That he has to start, he has to build his respect from the bottom up. Um, so I think it's almost like you're in an advantage with a larger age gap. You're already starting at a high level of respect and anything you do is just adding on top of that higher and higher. Yeah. So you're going to have someone fawn over you a bit more and give you that attention. And when someone respects you so highly and you're like, hey, babe, like it's really important to me that you cook me breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day she's probably going to be more likely to do it or also maybe it's just basic i'm more attracted to this and people are going to have an issue always throughout life for men in their 40s and 50s having sexual attraction always at the age of early 20s being like the peak like people are always going to be uncomfortable with that even if it's biology and society kind of thing i get that i do understand how it would be like i just said Mm. i i understand how especially like an older woman would find that really disconcerting and Mm. and and feel quite uncomfortable but yeah it is biology i think i Mm. I don't think that sort of thing is sort of like socially constructed or something like that i think if you look throughout all civilizations and history it's uh the the generally women in their you know late teens and early 20s are mm. uh, the most physically attractive i don't think that you know I, I can't imagine when i'm 40 what i'd be able to talk with with a you know 18 <laughs> yeah. year old i can't talk to an 18 year old now yeah so um there's that but so if you're dating i don't understand it but there is something, you know, I think people mature, especially women mature so much yeah. from 18 to 24. Yeah, oh, for so sure. So yeah. that would be different if I'm uh, 40 and then dating a 24-year-old or something like that. Yeah. Um, where does this sort of maybe the status thing come into it? Because that's where uh, a lot of dating advice for men and even some of the more controversial uh, ideas associated with like red pill and black pill philosophy where women are attracted to high status yes whereas men are attracted to looks yeah um and it it if if that is true it, it is almost quite unfortunate because it it goes against a feminist narrative in a way because if a man can get a really great job and um uh get an amazing salary he suddenly becomes more attractive to women whereas if a woman does that everyone applauds her and society goes well done but Mm. and i could say look personally i look at a woman who's 
got a great job or something okay look a great job yeah i find that attractive but if she's you know making 500 grand a year and as a ceo that's not it's intimidating you know, it doesn't make me want to fuck her yeah. oh it's not intimidating but right. like i'm not like oh that's hot yeah i've had guys tell me that they wouldn't want to date me because i out earn them and that to me is so crazy but no, I'm happy to be a, a sugar, <laughs> yeah, what is right. it, like a sugar, sugar baby, baby, you know? I think mentioned that, yeah. But that's the like whole it. sugar baby, like, <laughs> dynamic is that these men are getting attractive young females in their early 20s and in exchange, they're getting money. Um, so it's both of them are kind of shit. But at the same point, it's, it's almost like that perfect biological combination mm. of, well, he's going to get what he wants and she's going to get what um, she wants. But what is also interesting about, like, the status thing is that, on um, sugar baby websites, the sugar daddies always are saying that they want someone they can mentor. They want someone they can teach about professionalism and career success and things like that. So I always think that that's an interesting kind of that they yearn to, to have meaning to someone else. And I think that's why sometimes men can seek younger women, like significantly younger, is because they want to have you know, an influence on someone. They want to have purpose to someone rather than just being like, oh, Bob, you left the house a mess again. You're bloody useless. Of course. Like, but yeah. then what's more attractive, that or someone that's being like, oh my God, you're so successful. You're so smart. Like, I want to learn as much as I can from you. I have so much respect for you. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, in that situation, yeah, the second yeah. option is going to be much more attractive. Yeah. Um, for the short term, at least. <laughs> That's true. For the short term, I wonder yeah. if it's, you know, intellectually fulfilling, but I guess mm. not everyone looks for that. Yeah, exactly. It is, uh, it's interesting. I think they've done statistics where they show that, you know, successful men and intelligent men are willing to date down in the sense they're willing to date a woman who's not mm. as successful and maybe even not as intelligent, whereas successful, intelligent women are just not attracted yeah. to like you know a doctor who's um really intelligent and and extremely hard working doesn't want to date the guy working at Macca's yeah even if he's got a six pack and he's ripped whereas the um CEO the the male doctor if the if it's a 22 year old who works Cash at McDonald's chick, and yeah. is hot he probably would want to date yeah her. that's so true so, so true i guess what do you then do with that if we if if there is that difference in dynamic in society what do we see as immoral and what do we see as appropriate and what should we shame and all those sorts of questions yeah. come into it. I think that like a lot of our relationship choices and when it comes to status and, and dating younger or dating longer, uh, higher, higher, older, comes down to what do we think is going to be the most reliable option to fulfill our relationship needs. So men might be dating um, younger because they, they – require or desire that kind of attention and respect and women might be dating men of similar or higher status because they require you know financial security or or equality mm. or something like that so it's whatever the reasons we're kind of seeking out people that date yeah. that are going to fulfill those absolutely and we got we got to wrap this one up but uh, I will also just add that, you know, society today, women are actually uh, getting ahead in their life and career in cities mm. and sort of in a more, you know, middle class uh, environment. They're getting ahead a lot quicker than men. So 
in up to the age of mid thirties, women generally out earn men now. Yeah, wow. and are doing a lot better career-wise and all sorts of things. But then mm. it sort of switches when it gets to mid thirties. Right. Yeah, I assume a lot of that is uh, women are sort Babies. of opting out and choosing mm. to. But mm. anyway, it's a very uh, interesting topic, and it it is coming to light a bit more with the age gaps. And mm. it is something that historically was just no eyebrows were raised at all. So yeah. it's interesting to see how our ethics will transform over the next few years. But um, thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed that one. We uh, we will see you next time. Subscribe. And if you want to uh, have a paid subscription, go to neilcolhacker.com slash podcast. See you next time. See you next week.